Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 18. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. May God bless the reading of his word. We have Pastor Jeff Arthurs preaching on our series, Jesus is Better, Part 2, A Better Redemption. Today's sermon title is A Better Sacrifice. I'd like to hand the time now over to Pastor Jeff. to see you today, even through uh, technology. Well, our series is called Jesus is Better. And you've been very patient and attentive as we've gone through this book, hammering home the theme, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. You know why we're hammering at home? It's because Jesus is better. And that's what the word of God, the, uh, the book of Hebrews in particular, reveals to us. Way back in chapter 1, Jesus is a better messenger from God even than the angels. And that's saying a lot because the angels are great messengers. God sent the angels on the, the night Jesus was born, remember? Jesus is a better messenger. Back in chapter 1, chapter 2, Jesus is superior as a prophet even than Moses. And that's saying something because Moses was the greatest of the prophets. Jesus is better, superior than the first high priest, Aaron, and the whole Aaronic priesthood and the whole sacrificial system. As a sacrifice for sin, Jesus is superior to the old covenant system of animal sacrifice. So thank you for hanging with us uh, as we hammer home this theme, Jesus is better. Today, a better sacrifice. He and what he has done for us is better than our attempts to save ourselves through good works or through religion, you know, right speech, right concentration, right conduct. Jesus is better than that. He is better than all the religious spokesperson persons, uh, past and present, you know, the motivational speakers and the modern day gurus. The old covenant system is inferior to the new covenant. You know the new covenant, right? We celebrate it once a month. We remind ourselves once a month on the night that he was betrayed. Remember, he took bread and broke it and handed it out. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This is a new covenant that I'm making with you. He poured out wine. He said, drink. This is the blood of the new covenant for you. And so the scripture teaches that Jesus is offering a better sacrifice himself 
You know, by his wounds, we are healed. He became sin for us. We've sung about that today. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> so as we get into our passage, let me pull the camera back uh, to address a bigger issue, one that may come to your mind. It comes to my mind uh, frequently. How does the death, the sacrificial death of one person mean that I, my sins are forgiven? I mean, even if that person is the Son of God, how does his death result in atonement and redemption and forgiveness of sins? Well, you know, uh, there are different theories of the atonement. Um, but all of them have at root this idea of substitution, one person for another. We don't fully understand this, this, uh, this sacrifice that he made for us, and yet at the same time, we're not surprised at the general principle of substitution because it is at the root of all life and prospering. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It is at the root of what we experience day by day. Howard Thomas wrote about this. Uh, by the way, Howard Thomas uh, was the brother of Elizabeth Elliot, if you know that name. And Howard Thomas calls this principle the great exchange, the my life for yours principle. And we see it everywhere. Remember Jesus said, uh, except uh, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't spring up and bear fruit and live again. And that principle is in all of life. And Howard Thomas uh, links it directly to the old covenant system of animal sacrifice. L listen to what he says. He says, why all this bloodshed? That may have been appropriate to the imagination of a primitive tribe in the desert, but there's nothing in that for, for modern people. Doesn't the example of the tabernacle, you know, the whole sacrificial system, doesn't it break down? He says, no, the mysteries have not changed. The mystery was made present to them, real, palpable, visible. It was made present to them there in the tabernacle. And here's the mystery. Here's the principle. My life for yours. It's expressed in the words, I owe my life to you, or I lay down my life for you. No one has ever drawn a single breath on any other basis. A mother bears a child and nourishes a child, my life for yours. Except a seed fallen to the ground cannot live again. It's life for more life. A caregiver takes the child, father, a mother, a grandparent, and sacrifices and trains and 
gives energy and, and prayer and money and my life for yours. He says, uh, even helping someone get their ox out of the ditch, <laughs> my life for yours. Holding a car door open for someone, no one has ever sat down to the smallest pittance of food that he did not owe to someone else's life having been laid down. If it was only a prawn or a lettuce leaf, somebody had to plant and cultivate and pick and market the lettuce leaf or had to catch the prawn morning, noon, and night. We owe it all to others. My life for yours. I owe my life to you. I lay down my life for you. And so even though we can't fully grasp the deep spiritual mysteries of the atonement, it, it does make sense from what we see around us. And Jesus' death, as Aslan would say in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Jesus' death is the deeper magic of which we see shadows and glimpses and reflections. I give my life for you. We owe our lives to him. So the word of God teaches us, the book of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus' death makes eternal life available to us. And previously, that, that great spiritual transaction was pictured in the system of animal sacrifice. But Jesus' sacrifice is better. It's the real deal. All right, I want to get into this passage with you now. And uh, as we do so, let's, let's, let's go to the Lord and ask for illumination. Father, we pray that you'll open the eyes of our hearts, open our minds, help us to grasp that Jesus' death makes eternal life available to us. It is better, his better sacrifice. Teach us now by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me make three comparisons between the old covenant system, the animal sacrifice, and Jesus' sacrifice. If you're taking notes, three comparisons. Uh, here's the first one. Multiple versus single. The old animal uh, system was, you know, multiple sacrifices, tons of them but with Jesus, a single sacrifice. So every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Can you see the S there is in red, plural, sacrifices. But they can never take away sins. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Multiple versus single. A reflection, a shadow, the real thing. A living visual aid of the deeper magic. But by the way, do you, do you know about these multiple sacrifices? L let me just real briefly um, show you some of these sacrifices. Clifford, go ahead to the next slide. And uh, 
this is just a, a, a listing of the blood sacrifices in, uh, in the, 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 the covenant system, the old covenant. Uh, burnt offering, sin offering, uh, trespass offering, blah, 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 and so forth. And by the way, these are just the, the blood offerings, the sacrifice of animals. There were also grain offerings. There were also, what did they call it? Drink offerings that were poured out. But here we have uh, multiple sacrifices. And then what was the purpose? Next slide. The purpose was a general, uh, my point here is not for you to memorize this, and and there won't be a quiz on this later, just to show you multiple sacrifices. And then uh, the victim offered, next slide, uh, uh, unblemished uh, male uh, and different kinds of animals for such and such a sacrifice. They needed a ram for such and such a sacrifice. They needed either a male or female, uh, a goat, and, and so it went. Year after year, season after season, multiple sacrifices. But when Jesus had offered a single sacrifice, he sat down. So the first contrast is multiple and single. Second contrast, if you're taking notes, point two, continuous versus completed. And we've already seen that, right? Every priest stands daily at, this, uh, at his service, offering repeatedly, continuously, day after day, week after week, season after season, year after year, same sacrifices, and they can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So this single sacrifice that Jesus made was uh, powerful and effective for somebody who lived in the first century. She lived in the Middle East. Her name was Lydia. And his sacrifice covered her sins. And that same sacrifice, a single sacrifice, was also powerful for somebody who lived in the 4th century. He lived in North Africa. His name was Augustine. And this same sacrifice, one sacrifice for all time, was also powerful for somebody who lived in the 10th century. This person lived in Syria. We don't even know this person's name. It's just nameless follower of God. He was just a farmer, and Jesus' single sacrifice covered his sins. And the same sacrifice was good for people that lived in the 17th century. They lived in England. We call them the pilgrims. And this same sacrifice was good for people that lived in the 20th century. They lived in the country of Korea, and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of believers, their sins were forgiven there in the 1900s because of this single atoning sacrifice of this better Savior, this better sacrifice. His name is Jesus. And this, uh, this, uh, this sacrifice that he made, this single sacrifice completed, 
is pictured here in our passage as uh, he, after he had done the sacrifice, he sat down. You see that there? Uh, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So I have my chair here. In the Bible, uh, sitting, sitting uh, denotes resting, right? We use uh, a chair for the same thing today. Oh, after a long day at work. And after Jesus did his mighty work, remember on the cross, it is finished. Oh, it's done. In the Bible, sitting also conveys waiting. Waiting patiently. In fact, that's here in our passage. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And then the sacrifice of Jesus <coughs> also conveys approval. That's there, uh, buried there in the passage. He's seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Clifford, go ahead to the next slide, and let me show you how Peter talks about waiting. The heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what he's doing right now. Patiently waiting. There is coming a day of judgment. We're not there yet. He is seated. He is waiting. And then the next slide that shows this approval, this is from Peter's uh, sermon on the day of Pentecost. David himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand, quoting the same passage. Psalm 110, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. The idea here is that crucifixion was a terrible death. It was a shameful death. Yeah, Roman citizens weren't even by law allowed to be crucified. It was for outsiders and slaves and insurrectionists and bad people. And the thought that the Messiah would have been crucified was weird and uh, shocking and distasteful to people. He said, I understand your reaction, but realize he is now seated at the right hand of his father. That means approval. Well done. Share my glory. Join me. I approve of your work. And so sitting denotes resting. It denotes uh, waiting. It denotes approval. And then also judgment. Judgment because in the ancient world, they would sit to judge. And our passage says he is seated right now. He's making his enemies a footstool <laughs> for his feet. He's got his enemies under his feet. He's resting, waiting. Coming day of judgment is on the horizon.
And so the Bible teaches us here in the book of Hebrews that he is, he has made a completed sacrifice once for all. He is now seated at the right hand of God. I was reading a, a biography of uh, George Washington a couple weeks ago, and on the day that Washington was uh, to be inaugurated as president, he was just completely caught up in the, the gravity and the weight of trying to pull together these 13 colonies. And the North was divided against the South over the issue of slavery. And the Federalists and the Republicans were divided on the role of government. And he didn't feel up to it. He didn't want to be president. So he was on the balcony in, I think it was New York City, maybe Philadelphia, and the crowds were cheering, and he was acknowledging them, and he bowed, and he bowed, and they kept cheering, and then he went off script, and he did something that was not planned. He sat down. Why? He said he was so overwhelmed with the responsibility and the weight of this office and the problems before him and so humbled at the people's adulation and their submission to him. He just didn't feel worthy. Oh, I can't handle it. Well, Jesus sat down also. Not because he was overwhelmed, but because he had overwhelmed the devil and broken the power of sin. So our second comparison is um, completed work versus continuously offering these sacrifices. One more, third one, final comparison. Um, the old system, the animal sacrifice, was simply a reminder that we were sinners. But in the new system, because of what Jesus did, God will remember our sins no more. In these sacrifices, verse, chapter 10, verse 3, there is a reminder of sins year after year. Oh, I did it again. Oh, more blood. Oh, another sacrifice. When am I going to get my act together? And it's just a constant reminder. But now because of Jesus, I will remember their sins, their lawless deeds, no more. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. So here's the third reason, the third comparison of how Jesus' sacrifice is better than the old system of sacrifices. That was just a reminder of sins. It didn't actually take away sins, but here, Forgiveness is possible, and God says, I will no longer remember their sins. They are gone. Other places in the Bible talk about he's thrown our sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, Isaiah says, though your sins are red like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Today we might say, though your sins are like a neon sign, Average, look at me, look at me, look, sin, a sin, they're bad. God says, I'll pull the plug. Today we might say, going back to a different era, 
He has lifted the needle from the record player. I was at a, a museum a couple months ago, uh, a museum for uh, early automobiles, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. And in this, uh, in this museum, they also had an old Victrola, you know, the kind that you wound up and it came out of a kind of a bullhorn, the sound. And they played a song from that era. I think it was John Philip Sousa March. And it played, and we were walking around the museum. And then it got to the end of the record, and it kept going. And all you heard was... And God says, I'll lift the needle. Their sins are gone. I remember them no more. Verse 2 says we are cleansed. Verse 10 says we are sanctified. Verse 14 says we are sanctified again. Verse 14 also says we are perfected by the blood of Jesus. How does this work? We're not quite sure. But God has arranged a great spiritual transaction so that on the cross, he became sin for us. Somebody says, perfected? <laughs> that doesn't square with my experience. I am not perfected. I still sin. God knows that. And he's made provision for those of us who believe in Jesus and continue to sin. It's called confession. Do you confess your sins? Do you say to God, just, just come clean with God? Do you admit and agree with him about your sins? He says when we do that, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, somebody says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe in Jesus. I, I confess my sins. I know that verse from 1 John. If we confess our sins, I know that. But I still feel guilty. I don't feel forgiven. I am haunted by the things I've done. Many people are often haunted for years and years and years because of sexual sins committed in their young age or their middle age or previously, and it clings to them like barnacles. But listen, I'm talking to you on the basis of the Word of God. Jesus' sacrifice covers that. I will remember their sins no longer. How can we experience that freedom, that sort of existential, psychological, spiritual truth? Here's what we do. The devil comes to us and says, you sinned. Here's what you do. You say to the devil, I did. I agree. And I've already confessed it. And the devil says, well, uh, you, you broke the law. And you say, I agree. But you know what? Jesus didn't break the law. And I, my life, is hidden with Christ in God. His life is my life. This great spiritual sac uh, transaction. His life for mine the great substitution. And the devil says, well, uh, yeah, but remember what you did when you were 14? 
Remember what you did when you were 27? Remember what you did when you were 44? Hmm? When you were 59? And we say, I do remember. And I thank God that he does not remember. Because the Bible says he will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. This is why Jesus' sacrifice is better, because it cleanses us spiritually and it cleanses us in our day-to-day grind also as we learn to live into this reality. John Bunyan uh, wrestled with this. He's the guy that wrote Pilgrim's Progress way back in the 1600s. In his spiritual autobiography, go ahead to the next slide, Uh, his spiritual autobiography was called Grace Abounding. Sinner, thou thinkest that because of thy sins and infirmities I cannot save thy soul? But behold, my son is by me, and upon him I will look, and not on thee, and will deal with thee according as I am pleased with him. This is the good news we call the gospel. It's the good news we keep hammering home because Hebrews keeps hammering it home. Jesus is better, his life for mine. Let me conclude very briefly with a little bit of application here. Let me give you some application at a fairly high level, not specifics, not specific things to do the next week, but, but let me speak, let me suggest how this truth about Jesus' sacrifice um, speaks to the issue of identity. Many of us are wondering, who am I? Who am I? What is my essence? I have to define myself in this day. Who am I? Here's who you are. A child of God. The deepest part of you is hidden in Christ. Your ethnicity, which is a very important part of you, is not the most important thing. Your gender, which is a very important part of your identity, is not the most important fact about you. Your age, which is a very important component of who we are, there's something deeper. And it is this spiritual truth, this theological truth of being a child of God. And this truth about Jesus also speaks to the deep longing, the questions we have about purpose. Why am I here? These are the great questions of worldview. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who am I? Why am I here? Here's what the gospel says. Here's why you're here. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we can do that because of Christ. And then the third question we ask, where am I going? Where am I headed? Where's all this headed? Here's where we're going. We're going home.
eternal life. The life of God through Christ is now our life. Because he lives, we live also, and we will live also. And this hope of eternal life is the anchor of our souls. So all of that is bound up in the simple phrase, Jesus is better. He has offered himself as a better sacrifice. Heavenly Father, help us to believe it, and live it out, and to feel it on the day-to-day grind. We commit to you our hearts and minds through Christ our Lord. Amen.